Well, welcome back. We're in a series called Faith by Design, and I haven't been here for a few weeks, so I, I just want to say thanks for all the other amazing speakers that we had, Pastor Tom, Pastor Sam, Pastor Patty. You guys are amazing, and thank you all for coming on this journey with us. But this series is called Faith by Design, and what we're doing is we're trying to use design thinking. We're trying to use the idea that we can incept, if you will, what is our faith lives going to look like, and then build backwards from there. And so today we've got a really interesting text. But before we talk about any of it, I want you to know this. I miss you all. Not just because I was gone for a few weeks, but I miss you all. This Tuesday, we had an opportunity to do a little drive-in worship service with just the worship teams that were around. And I got to tell you, the music started playing. I started weeping because apparently that's what I do now. And it was a moment to just recognize that I really miss being with the people of God. I miss being with Crosswalk membership. And I think people are feeling that all across the country. So I want you to know how much I truly do miss you. And as we jump into these texts this week, James seems really concerned about the genuineness of the faith of those that he's writing to. Now, the church was going through suffering, right? They were going through some oppression and he had been trying to work them up to that. But in these particular texts, he's really concerned about the genuineness of their faith. And he's really concerned about them expressing that genuineness. Now, here's a question, right? How can you tell if you have real faith? If your faith is genuine, you'll be able to get through suffering. You'll be able to get through heartache, through oppression. You'll be able to get through all of it if you have genuine faith. But how can you find out if you really have it. And here's the first way. It's simply this. Listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Now, in today's vernacular, probably that means you need to go back to your Facebook or your Instagram account, and you need to look at the last 30 messages you sent or 30 posts that you put up. And if the aggregate of those posts is negative, is divisive, is, is in a fighting manner, then maybe you need to rethink what it is that's in your heart. We're going to get to more of that later, but we have to understand what our words can do. What can your words do, man? They can help, they can heal, they can harm, and they can be hazardous. Words that come from your mouth are paramount to helping us understand how we design our faith into a life that blesses others and blesses ourselves and ultimately blesses God. But this text today, this is what's crazy. It begins by talking about teachers. I'm looking at James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. So we're going to go relatively quickly. We've got a lot to get through. But this text starts with teachers. Now, I came from a family of teachers. My father was a professor. My mother taught English before she became a court reporter. My sister is a teacher. My wife is a teacher. And I teach almost every single quarter at one of the universities around here. So teaching is a big deal in our lives. Mentoring, making sure that we help guide the next generation into a better understanding of who God is. With my wife, it's what art really is and help them add to the beauty that's in the world. My sister teaches elementary um, and my father, of course, worked in faith for a really long time. Teachers don't get paid enough. Teachers don't get the respect that they deserve. And teachers carry a great responsibility. And James is about to speak to that. It's not really a strange place to start, even though it might feel like it is, because they have such a huge responsibility. So again, reading from the New Living Translation, it begins like this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach 
will be judged more strictly. Now, this is a note of caution, and this is scary, right? Because he's basically saying, listen, uh, don't everybody teach. Not everyone is equipped. Not everybody is ready. And not everyone is ready to bear that responsibility. And especially if you go into teaching with the wrong motives, that's a big problem too. So this is, number one, a note of caution, which is really important. It is a note of caution. Of all the things that James could have warned them about, it was teaching, which seems weird. But again, no, because rabbis were considered great ones and highly respected. So this is why he puts people on blast who are willing to be teachers, but are willing to do it from the wrong motivations. And you know, he was having problems with these super apostles that were running around the churches at that time. So what he does is he puts three notes into the first verse. The first is a note of caution, right? And this may come as a shock to most of us. It's hard to find teachers. It's really hard to find good teachers. But what he wants us to do is understand that there is a terrible responsibility that teachers have. And by terrible, I mean awesome. And by awesome, I mean significant. Especially if your motives are wrong. Because we were given, because they were given so much respect, it was this coveted position. And unfortunately, that's changed a little bit. With the death of expertise, we have a tendency not to trust our teachers anymore. And that's really a shame. Because I don't know anyone who's gone into teaching to warp people's minds. I only know people who have gone into teaching to help grow young people into a greater understanding of who, the, who God is, how the world works, and their particular field of study. But he adds at the end that he's going to judge them more harshly. This is that word of caution, right? And I got to tell you, 1 Corinthians speaks to this. 1 Corinthians 3 Verses 10 through 15. I'm just going to read it straight. It says this, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building the foundation must be very, very careful. I added the second very. For no one can lay any foundation other than, excuse me, um, for no one can lay any other foundation other than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. Continuing on, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, right? Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And then he finishes it off saying this, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. He will suffer great loss. And, and the builder will be saved, but it will be someone escaping through a wall of flames. I got to tell you, these texts are really frightening if you've decided to go into teaching in any way. They're frightening because this text particularly, this speaks to how the root bears fruit. As teachers, as mentors and the like, we're responsible for the fruit that we create. As Christians, we're responsible for the fruit that comes out of our mouth and the fruit that we create with our words. If you've been in this capacity for a while, you can begin to see the trends coming from your teaching, right? We talk about the test of a prophet and what kind of fruit a prophet's words give. The same can be said of teachers, but the truth is the same can be said of Christians as well. If, if we are not considering what, how we are teaching and what is coming out of our mouth. It's a bad, 
deal. And that's really tough. In verse two, he says back in James, in verse two, he says, he says, listen, indeed, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and we could also control ourselves in any way. And I gotta tell you, this is a note of realism for sure. Not everyone is perfect and James is willing to acknowledge that. He's willing to let us know that not everyone is perfect. But he also gives us a note of hope, doesn't he? Because he says, if we can begin to control our tongues, much else will be able to be controlled in our lives as well. It, this is important because we begin here. We, he continues on in verse three and he says, we make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Now, I'm not a farmer, I'm not a rancher, I don't ride horses. In fact, I've been kicked off of every horse. And by kicked off, I mean literally, the horses bucked me off. But what he's saying is these little things, these words, they control the whole thing. And then he uses a second metaphor where he says a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. The second metaphor is one of a ship, an animal of his ship. Do you begin to understand what he's saying here? In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Some, some translations make huge boasts, he says, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And that's really important because they can inspire, words can be aspirational, and they can also start a great fire that burns everything down. James was speaking to those who were going through hard times. Now, perhaps because they were going through hard times, they thought they got a pass, right? They thought they got a pass on the behavior of a Christian. Like they didn't have to be as good a Christian because hard times and God would understand that, he, that we may not live up to our values and we can say things and do things that we wouldn't normally say or do if everything was fine because there's real difficulties. But James is not letting them off the hook. James seems to be concerned for their behavior. Hardship is no excuse for bad behavior or for harsh words. Again, James seems to think that their genuine faith is more important than their suffering. And then he says this, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. This is harsh, right? It is corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by what? By hell itself. Are you getting the importance of this? Are you getting the importance of what comes out of your mouth and how words control not just your attitude, but the attitude of others? It controls the way communities are built or destroyed. Words become incredibly important. In some translations, it talks about taming your tongue. But what it is, it's designing the way you speak to be of benefit to others. And it is hard, and it's hard in today's world. I understand that. Especially when we disagree with someone, what we do is we try and lambast them rather than the idea even. We lambast the person because the person must be an idiot. The person must be a moron to believe in these sorts of things. Is that the way Christians communicate? Because if it is the way Christians communicate, how in the world do you go back and tell someone about the love of God? I don't think you can. You've lost your ability to speak Jesus, grace, love, compassion, and peace into anyone else's lives if that's how you're gonna start the conversation. Now, it's gonna be easy to listen to this, these words in these texts and go, yeah, 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 but, 
Because I think that's what the people in James's time were doing as well. But we're going through hardship. We're going through the other, the other group of people. They don't know what they're talking about. You can still communicate in a way that translates into God's love. If you can't, we've got to search our hearts. Because we understand that the overflow of our hearts is what the mouth speaks. In James 3, 7, it says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and it is evil right? Full of deadly poison. Wow. As you go back and look at your interactions online over the last few weeks and months, is your language, are your words full of deadly poison? And you got to be honest with yourself, right? You're never going to build the life of faith that you want if you don't assess and audit your life honestly. Now, don't get online and go look at everybody else that you know who goes to church and say, oh, look, they're not doing it either. This is about you and about your ability to communicate in a way that God will want you to communicate in order to build up your life of faith. Because if vitriol is spitting out of your mouth, that means it's in your heart. Sometimes it says in verse 9, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Our tongues are inconsistent, and we understand our hearts are inconsistent at times too. But that's why we train. That's why we design. That's why we put ourselves into situations where we can communicate positively. So we can communicate, even with disagreement, we can learn how to communicate positively. Listen, not everything deserves a response. You understand that in life. Sometimes things don't deserve a response when somebody comes at you in a way that is inappropriate because there's no way to respond as a Christian. And so sometimes we need to let our silence speak a little bit. And that frustrates people and I understand that. But if you can't engage in the conversation in a way that's positive, sometimes let things go. And I know it's hard. Listen, I get it. And for some reason in today's world, it seems even harder. In our study guide during these texts, we talked about brackish water, water that is both salty and fresh, which means it's really just salty. And, and we talked about these, these springs in the Middle East that every once in a while would bring fresh water, but then sometimes would bring salt water. He's really using it as a, a metaphor for the inconsistency of our words because he wants us to be consistent. He continues on in verse 10. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James is warning us again, the tongue can be dangerous. Does a spring bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? By and large, it doesn't. And if you've ever drank brackish water thinking that it was fresh water, it's not only disappointing, it's disgusting. <laughs> My wife and I were first dating. Um, she lived up in Portland, was going to PUC. I was going to La Sierra. So I flew up to her house, Christmas break, and I'm hanging out with her and her parents. And she goes to the kitchen. She reaches in, grabs some water, takes this big, big drink of it. And it turns out it was an unmarked bottle of vinegar, white vinegar. And so she took this big, huge sip and then just 
everything. Like her whole, her whole breath was taken away from her and she's gasping for air and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I didn't know her that well. I wasn't sure like what was happening, how she was responding. She was just, you know, trying to make noise out of it. It was because what she got was bitter and vile as opposed to the fresh water that was supposed to be coming out of that bottle. What comes out of your mouth? Fresh water or brackish water? Water that is not good for anything and is really just a byproduct of something hopefully being purified, but not all the time being purified. Now, I know I'm hammering this, but this is what the text says. And I don't know, I don't know about you, and I don't know about your Christianity, but if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of God, then you've got to take the words we find in Scripture pretty seriously. And if we don't do that, then we should probably call ourselves something else, because that's no longer authoritative. It's no longer our guiding Scriptures. And he finishes it out like this. He says, does a fig tree produce olives, a grapevine? Does a grapevine produce figs? No, no. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. He's just drawing on really common flora to the area because he wants people to understand. So, so how does this relate to designing our faith, right? How does it, how does it relate to design in our faith. Luke tells us that from the overflow of our heart, you've heard me say it before, our mouth speaks. You want to know your heart? Listen to your words. And this can be shocking. And we all have work to do here. Listen, very few people in in every aspect of their life are consistently positive. But, But especially in today's world, we as Christians know, we we know the end, right? We know how this all ends. And in the midst of everything that's going on, it's hard for us to remember that. And it's easy for us to get caught up in the vitriol of the day. It's easy for us to think about the world in us and them situations. And in fact, everyone wants us to do that right now. Everyone wants everything to be politicized so that we can be going against each other. We have to find a way to transcend that. And while we may not all agree, the words that we speak will be the thing that allows us to transcend a conversation, a partisan, if you will, conversation. We choose what we're going to make political in our lives. And I choose not to make love political. I want what comes out of my heart, through my tongue, out of my lips, I want it to be the most positive and uplifting thing. And that means sometimes I I respond thoughtfully. Sometimes I take a long time to respond. And every once in a while, I don't respond. But, But we have to be better. We have to live better. We have to listen better or listen well, we could say, right? Because if we don't do that, well, we're telling what our words say about our heart. Are they unifying? Are they divisive? Are they political? Are they grace and compassion filled? What are we as followers of Christ supposed to be communicating? I think it's compassion. I think it's humility. I think it's learning. I think it's listening. I mean, is humility anywhere in our vocabulary anymore? And not false humility, but true humility. Trying to understand. 
I know this is dicey, but the way we approach conversations makes a big difference. I believe we are supposed to be talking about grace, love, hope, compassion, understanding, unity, and hope. And yes, I said hope twice because we need a double dose of hope in today's world. Now, I don't know where you're listening to this from. You might be here in Southern California with us. You might be out in Georgia, Washington, D.C. You might be in Costa Rica. We're blessed to have an audience and a congregation that, that transcends borders. And as we study the book of James, for the purpose of designing our life and our life of faith to look more and more like Jesus, we have an opportunity, no matter where we are, to be light to the world. James hits words really strongly. He hits words really strongly because it is important to him that the people of God not lose their voice, not lose their witness in the greater world. If that's what we're being called to, man, we gotta think. We gotta think about how we communicate. We gotta think about how important those little words are that we say. If we don't think about this, then scripture is no longer our guide because the Bible talks a lot about how we are to speak. And especially if we step into a position where we are a teacher, I mean, it said it right at the beginning, God will judge us more harshly because we have taken the responsibility of sharing who God is to the world. Now, understand this. I don't say these things to change your heart because only the Holy Spirit can do that. My job is to open up the words that God has given us to understand them to the best of my knowledge and to share them with you. So as we pray today, I want you to ask God to audit your heart, to audit your words, and to see if he can give you a new vocabulary that speaks to humility, that speaks to grace, that speaks to compassion, and that lifts people up and gives hope. Hope. There, I said it twice again. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, God of mercy, God of compassion, and God of hope, give us new words, better words. And may those words shape our attitudes. May those words begin to change our hearts as they come out of our hearts, Lord. Give us those deep words that we find deep within us so that the overflow of our heart speaks what our, the overflow of our mouth, sorry, speaks what our heart is really feeling. Lord, when the words and the sounds become too harsh and get too much, give us the freedom to not respond until you have the words for us in which to respond. Lord, this is hard. This is not easy. We know how inconsistent our hearts are, but give us, give us consistent hearts. We don't want to be the brackish water. We want to be those wellsprings of sweet water that give people hope in the midst of the desert. Lord, we thank you for everything that you are. And Lord, when our words fail us, may we go back to your words. Words that say, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the fulfillment of the law. May that be our guiding principle. In your name I pray. 
Amen.